0: So while all that is going on, the rest of you ought to be turning in your Bible to the uh, Gospel of Luke chapter 5 will be uh, in verse 27 through 32 today. So Luke chapter 5 verses 27 through 32 will be our our text this morning as we continue our study as we continue our study through the book of through the Gospel of Luke. So, so last week in our in our annual meeting, I I talked a little bit about uh, the idea of discipleship and how that's become quite a uh, an emphasis for our church and how we are to be disciples who make disciples. Now, when we're going through this idea of discipleship and, and what all that means, we're trying to make sure that we all come to a definition of what it means to be a disciple, and as we meet with some of you one-on-one, some of you in, in small groups um, to uh, grow us and to help us to become disciples, we are using a wide range of material, and there's a lot of good material out there on discipleship, um, we we happen to be using, uh, some material by a guy by the name of, uh, of Putnam, and he's put together some good stuff, but, um, Bob Galatea has put together some some really nice material on, on discipleship. But, but really, if, if we're going to study discipleship and what it means to be a disciple and how to be a disciple and how to reproduce as a disciple, all of those resource materials are, are really good. But I suppose our best resource material ought to be Jesus, the great disciple maker. So today we are going to set Putnam aside and Galatea aside and all the other great People who have written on this marvelous subject, we're going to put them aside because, after all, they draw their material from Jesus, the great disciple maker. And so we will study a little bit about how Jesus goes about doing this. And I think there's a lot for us to learn today as we, um, a lot for us to learn in the area of being a disciple and making disciples as we come to the call of Matthew today, uh, actually the call of Levi I'm getting ahead of myself, Levi and Matthew are the same person. So I may interchange those 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 names. But as we look at the call of Levi, we will see Jesus um, and how he makes disciples and then calls us to emulate what he does. And so let me give you a little bit of review so that we can understand where we've been. We need to uh, um, perhaps go all the way back in the beginning of Luke, Luke chapter 1. Um verse three, Luke tells us why he's writing his gospel, and we should always keep in mind the main purpose why an author writes what they writes. And Luke is writing this particular gospel to a man by the name of Theophilus, and he's saying, so that you may have certainty about the things that you have heard, that you may have certainty to believe the things that you have heard. Because most likely, Theophilus has heard some things about Jesus Christ and probably heard the truth about Jesus Christ and then all sorts of various Voices come in, and there are a million voices today who will tell you that Jesus is this or Jesus is that. There's a million voices out there telling something about Jesus Christ. And so Luke says, I'm going to write an accurate historical account so that you, Theophilus, may believe um, and have confidence in the things that you have believed. And Luke then begins to describe person of Jesus Christ, who He is. And we have learned, we learned a lot in the first four chapters about who Jesus is. And then there's a shift, and Luke begins to describe not so much who Jesus is, but what Jesus does. And we saw the very first thing that Luke records Jesus, Christ. the first big thing that Jesus does, is he casts out a a, a demon out of a, a possessed individual. And we talked about the significance of that. And he goes through and he, and he begins to heal and he begins to uh, call uh, people to follow him. So we talked a little bit about what who Jesus is and what Jesus does. But last week, we tied those two things together because you cannot separate what Jesus does from who Jesus is. In other words, the things that Jesus does are a outflow of who he is. We saw last week that Jesus is the one who cleanses the untouchable and actually forgives sins. And Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. That is a reference back to Daniel chapter 7 that is this Individual who approaches the throne of God and is given all authority, all power, all dominion, that every tribe, tongue, peoples, and nations might serve Him. And Jesus said, so that you will know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins, that is, that I have all authority over all nations, all people, all tribes, all tongues, that I have all authority over all things, including the authority to forgive sins, so that you know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins on earth. I tell you, I tell to this paralyzed individual individual, rise up and walk, and his rising up and walking was an indication that his sins have been forgiven, and he demonstrated that I am the Son of Man who has all authority and power and dominion, and every tribe and tongue and nation and person will fall down and bow down and worship me. See, you cannot separate what Jesus does from who he is. We're going to continue that theme today, because today is going to call a man by the name of Levi to follow him. Now, That's what Jesus does. Levi, follow me. But it is directly related to who Jesus is. Because if Jesus is the Son of Man who has all authority and power and dominion and righteousness, and he is this eternal uh, figure to whom... Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. If he is that person, then he has the authority and the right to walk up to you and to me and to say, follow me. And being who he is, it is only right then that you and I get up and follow him. That's where we've been. Here's where we want to go. So, by way of preview, we are going to see Jesus continuing to reach out to the untouchables. We saw last week that Jesus reaches out to a leper, and not just any leper, but a man who was filled with leprosy, a person who was cast off from society, who nobody would have anything to do with. We are going to then we saw him uh, have business with a paralytic, and of course. the religious leaders of the day would have said the reason that man is paralyzed is because he's a sinner. So nobody wants to have anything to do with these people. And Jesus reaches out to these individuals and he has something to do with them. And today we're going to see that Jesus continues to inform and demonstrate that the kingdom of God is, is open even to those who are the so-called untouchables. And let me tell you, Levi is an untouchable. Oh, he has no physical ailment. He does not have leprosy that you can see and say, Oh, I don't have anything to do with him. He's not some disfigured individual. He's not some paralyzed individual. But I will tell you right now, he was an untouchable. He was a despised individual. And Jesus reaches out and says, The kingdom of God is for you, Levi. So that's one of the places where we're going to go. And another really important thing is that this text is going to, bring us to the very center of what Jesus came to do we are going to come to the very center of the work of Jesus and by extension if it is the center of the work of Christ then by extension it is the center of our work as well because we are called to follow him and if it's the center of his work then it needs to be the center of our work that's quick Review and preview. So let's go ahead and join with me as we read God's word in Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 27. I'll continue through verse 32. This is the gospel of Luke, and it is the word of God. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made Our Father, we come before you this day, and we are, we are confronted with your holy word. We are confronted with the, the Son of Man, Jesus Christ the righteous, to whom has been given all authority, power, and dominion. I pray, gracious Lord, that you would enable me, Father God, to be filled with your spirit, that I might decrease and you might increase that you would be seen in all of your beauty and all of your splendor and all of your glory that your name would be most honored and glorified here this we ask for the sake of Christ our Lord amen and so jesus comes up and says when he went out he saw a tax collector now let me just pause for a moment and remind you or inform you that the that tax collectors, as today, well, tax collectors were despised people. They're despised people today. We don't have any tax collectors here. Do we? <clears throat> you would still be welcome in this church if you were a tax collector. But in those days, tax collectors were a despised subculture of humanity. They had no standing. They were utterly hated, not just by the religious leaders. They were hated by everybody. Everybody hated them. And so Jesus is, it's interesting, Jesus is continuing to gather his disciples and he finds a tax collector. And tax collectors were were seen as no better than thieves or prostitutes or extortioners or adulterers or swindlers or con men. That's all they were. They were a despised group. They were not only considered to be wicked, oftentimes they really were wicked. They weren't just misunderstood people. I'm sure there were some honest tax collectors. And you'll remember when John the Baptist was preaching, remember one of the groups, three groups came up to John the Baptist and heard the message of repentance to prepare for the kingdom of God because the king was on his way. And one of the groups that came to John the Baptist were tax collectors and said, What should we do? And John basically said, Stop ripping people off. That's kind of my paraphrase. Only take what's required of you. And so I'm sure there were some honest tax collectors, but the majority of them were swindlers and con men, oppressors. And and they just made their money on the backs of honest, hardworking people. They were not only considered wicked, they most often were wicked. You see, they were despised. Because, of course, anybody who takes your money unjustly, you're not going to lie. But they worked for Rome. All right, so you remember, this is, this is in Israel. And Israel is an occupied country. And they are occupied by the Rome. By Rome. So there's this constant reminder that we are an occupied people and instead of rising up and resisting the government these Jews worked for this oppressive government and actually did their bidding so of course they were hated because they actually lived to prosper and promote this oppressive government. And so therefore, they use the power of the state to oppress people for personal gain. You don't get much lower than that. I'm going to use the power of the state so that I can extract as much money from you as possible, and you will be broken poor, and I will live luxuriously. Let's face it. We wouldn't be too thrilled with Levi. And Levi had a very lucrative business. And Jesus says, and he went out and he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said, follow me. What an amazing thing. I've just described to you the type of person Levi was. And Jesus comes along and says, ah, Levi, just the type of person I'm looking for. This is who I want to be, one of my disciples. This is who I want to be, one of my followers. This is one of the people who I'm calling to pour my life into and transform. Let's face it, you and I probably don't, might not choose Levi as a target to emulate Christ. Jesus says, follow me. I want you to understand, when Jesus says, follow me, number one, this is an imperative. So this is a command, follow me. What Jesus is calling Levi to do is become a disciple. One of of Jesus' disciples. Because you see, um, rabbis, and Jesus was a rabbi, would would gather together a group of students, a group of learners. And by the way, that's just what disciple means. Disciple just means a learner. all right. So when I say we want to be disciples, what we're saying is we want to be learners. And so a rabbi would go around and gather together a group of learners, a group of students. And what would they do? They would walk behind the rabbi. And they would commit his teachings to memory. And so the rabbi would be walking along, his disciples would be following him, and he would be teaching them, and they would commit his teaching to memory. That's why he says, follow me. I think it's important that Jesus, when he calls a disciple, he says, follow me. He does not say, let me walk alongside with you. Nor does he say, you go up ahead and I'll just kind of pick up the pieces that you leave behind. No, he says, follow me. So Levi, follow me. A disciple then was one who joined himself to a rabbi. Learned what the rabbi taught and then emulated the rabbi's actions. And taught the rabbi's teachings and actions to others. Do you see that? They'd follow along. They would hear what the rabbi teaches. They would learn that to memory. They would watch how the rabbi acts. They would They would begin to mimic or emulate what the rabbi did. And then they would go out and they would teach others what the rabbi taught and teach them to act like their rabbi. This is what a disciple is. One who attaches themselves to Jesus, learns what Jesus says, learns what Jesus does and teaches and acts like their master and then teaches others to do the same. This is what Jesus is saying when he says, Levi, follow me. I'm asking you to I'm calling you to do this. So a disciple then is one who commits his life to the teachings of Jesus, listens to his lessons, seeks to understand them and then mirrors the example. In other words, to be a follower of Christ To be a disciple of Christ is to be a little Christ. Now, please don't think that I'm saying that you are going to somehow be the the eternal second person of the Trinity when I say you are going to be a little Christ. But you remember, Christians were called Christians in Antioch. And it just simply means, it was a mocking term at the time, and it means little Christ. Oh, you think you are a little Christ. You just follow after your rabbi master, Jesus Christ, and you just do the things he does. And you talk the way he talks, and you, you act the way he acts. You guys are just little Christ. Yes. We hear the teachings of our master. We learn them, we teach them to others, and we act like the one. We follow. And so Jesus comes to Levi, the tax collector, and says, You're just the type of person I'm looking for. Follow me. And Levi left everything and rose and followed him. Oh, there's so much here. First of all, Levi left everything behind. Levi the tax collector left everything behind. Let me um, just probe a little deeper into the idea of what a uh, tax... There were a number of types of tax collectors in Israel in these days, and there were some who collected ta- taxes for the temple. We're not going to talk about those types of tax collectors. We're going to talk about the types of tax collectors who um, worked for the Roman government and collected Taxes, taxes, taxes for the government. There were two types of um, tax collectors. And the first type I want to just briefly mention, we'll get introduced to this type a little bit later in the book of Luke. And that is the archi- Let I get that right. Architellonus. And the Architellonus archi just means chief or head. And telonus is tax collector. So he is an archi, a head dog tax collector and basically this would be the type of guy who would have perhaps a chain of tax collecting booths. He would set up a booth maybe on this road at this intersection maybe set up another booth in this commercial center and he'd set up and he owned or oversaw a group of tax collecting booths. He was the chief so he had a chain of stores, if you will. And he hired a lot of people to man his booth. He didn't actually man the booth. He hired people to man the booth. He was the chief tax collector. And we meet a guy like this in Luke chapter 19. His name is Zacchaeus, all right? And he's called a chief tax collector. And so he's kind of the top dog. He sits at home and he just collects, and you know, all the tax collectors come and bring him the money that they collected, and then he goes and pays off Rome. So that's the chief tax collector. That's not who we're talking about here. We're talking about the Telones type of tax collector. All right, He's the guy who actually manned the tax booth. He was the guy sitting in the tax booth. He was the face of the organization. You never saw a guy like Zacchaeus probably, but you did see a guy like, Matt, like Levi. He was the guy you paid your money to. He was the guy when you brought your uh, a bunch of fish out of the lake and you were getting ready to bring them to mar- market, there'd be Levi. Ah, I see you caught some fish today. Well, looks like a pretty good day. How many did you catch? Oh, that's a pretty good haul. Let's see, how much am I going to charge you today? Oh, looks like you didn't catch very much today. I'm still going to charge you. Oh, it looks like you want to use this road to bring your goods to market. Well, you've got to pay that toll also. Have you ever looked at your phone bill? And have you seen all of the taxes? Some things never change. These guys had a tax for everything. I think the Beatles wrote a song about that, didn't they? They taxed everything. Levi was the guy that you went and paid your taxes to. He was the face of the organization. And so he was the one who certainly would have been despised. Now you think, all of this is happening in Capernaum. So think about this. Peter and James and John, they were fishermen. And guess where they were based? In Capernaum. text doesn't say so. And so I won't be utterly dogmatic about it. But I would say with a high degree of certainty, Peter, James, and John knew Levi, the tax collector. And they didn't know him because they liked him. He was the face of the organization. Oh, Peter, James, and John, so you've been out fishing, huh? I see you got a new net. Well, you know what? Did you pay the taxes on that new net? I'm going to get you. Oh, you got to You repaired your boat, did you? So your boat's worth more now, huh? I think you owe some taxes. Oh, how many fish did you catch tonight? And this was a guy who Peter, James, and John probably had many dealings with. And Jesus says, yeah, let's bring this guy, Levi, into my little band of disciples. Boy, Jesus is going about this backwards. He's getting a whole bunch of people who just don't like each other. And he's saying, that's going to be my band of followers. A whole bunch of non educated, non academic folks who really hate each other, and I'm going to bring them together, and I'm going to create a band of followers, and they are going to turn the world upside down. That's what I'm going to do. This is Jesus' blueprint. This is the church. Jesus calls a whole bunch of people who ought not to get along with one another. And he brings them all into, a, into close confines with one another and says, Now, through you, I'm going to turn the world upside down. What do you think about that? This is Jesus' blueprint for discipleship. And Levi then leaves everything and rose and followed Jesus. Luke goes all in. I'm sorry, Levi goes all in. See, Levi was a talonus. He sat at the booth and collected taxes. It was a lucrative job. And when he gets up and leaves his books behind and he goes and he follows Jesus, I can tell you this. There are half a dozen others waiting to get a job. There's no going back. You see, a fisherman could go back, and in fact, we know Peter, James, and John went back to fishing. When Levi gets up. There's no going back. Levi's all in. Once he abandons his job, it's over. I, I got no safety net here, Jesus. I've heard your call, and I'm going all in. And I'm leaving nothing behind. Here we go. I love the statement. And he got up. Leaving everything, he arose and followed him. You know, just kind of where some of the grammar is kind of important so for you grammar folks. He and leaving everything. The way this is stated is, is that this happens at a point in time. That there is a point in time where Levi leaves everything. There is a point in time when there is a decisive break with what he is doing. There is a point in time where there is a decisive break with his former life. And he says, that's no more. Notice that. There is a time, a point in time when there is a decisive break. Then we see this wonderful imperfect And he began. Notice the process. So there's a point in time where he makes a decisive break with his past. And then he begins the process of being a disciple. In other words, Levi was not a world changer on that day. Levi was not a guy who was going to turn the world upside down that day. But he was a guy who made a decisive break and began the process of becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. He had a whole lot to learn. Jesus has three years with him. He's got a whole lot to learn. And they make a whole bunch of mistakes. But he begins the process. Folks, this is the life of you and me as disciples. There was a point in time where we heard the call of Christ and we said, I'm going to leave my old life behind. I'm going to make a decisive break with my old life. And I am going to begin... To follow Christ in that process, we are still in that process of becoming learners, disciples, followers of Jesus Christ. But the old has been left behind and the new is now ahead and we are now in that process of becoming people who will turn the world upside down. And so certainly when we see this, this fact that, that Levi leaves everything and follows Christ, we certainly see a great commitment on the part of Levi. And we should not discard or discredit or diminish the commitment that Levi had to make to become a follower of Christ. But I think more importantly and often overlooked in this is it also tells us something about the captivating power and beauty and glory of Jesus Christ. I mean, what is it about this man who will say, I will leave my lucrative career and I will leave it behind and he is more beautiful, he is more glorious, he is more prominent, he is greater than everything that I've been doing. And let me tell you, in the world standard according to the world levi would say i live a good life i got money and i got stuff and i got women and i got all of these things and jesus is greater and more powerful and more captivating and more beautiful and not only am i just leaving that behind and saying well i'm leaving something good for something better no he is so beautiful and glorious that's rubbish compared to that this is something we learn. I mean, and we live in a world that glorifies that. The power and the wealth and the sex and all of those things. And we have TV shows that tell us all about those who live that lifestyle and glorify and promote them. And we have magazines that tell us all about that. And Jesus is greater and more beautiful and more glorious than all of that. This is the treasure in a field. And Matthew is going along and he finds this treasure in a field and he says, that's worth everything I've got. I'm going to go back sell everything I've got so that I can have that one treasure because everything I have is not worth nearly as much as what that treasure is. In fact, everything I have isn't just the old life that was good and left behind. It is rubbish. It is nothing. It is Filthy, stinking garbage compared to the beauty that is Jesus Christ. And so when Le- when Jesus comes to Levi and says, follow me, he gets up and says, that is more glorious than what I've been doing. And it's so much better that I lose nothing in this transaction. And so... <clears throat> Folks, as disciples, when we get up and we follow Christ, we lose nothing. Ultimately, what's going on here is that Levi is making Jesus his priority. My life now is all about Jesus. That's the life. So... I'm not saying that when you become a, a disciple of Christ that you need to become a missionary or a pastor or a church planter or anything like that. I am saying that in whatever business or um, pursuit you undertake, Jesus becomes your priority because he is so much more beautiful and glorious and fantastic than whatever your job may be. Even if you do become a pastor, missionary, or church planter, Jesus is still more glorious than that. And so, we learn much of Levi's commitment, but more importantly, we learn much about the person who is whom we follow. And folks, if we don't have a high view of who Christ is, our discipleship will wane and it will grow weak and we will become discouraged. But when we have our eyes set on the beauty and glory of Christ, even when being a disciple, a learner is hard. We see something much greater than anything else. The world can offer us. And so Levi now makes Jesus his priority, and I love what Levi does next. He makes a great feast in his house. Man. So having experienced grace, what does he do? He celebrates. What else do you do? Sometimes we think, oh well, if I become a Christian, then it's gonna be kind of like kind of this somber. No, grace is celebratory. Is there any reason why we would not celebrate grace? So Levi throws a party. Why wouldn't you? What else is there to do? I guess you can worship and that's great. You can also celebrate. Christ, the son of man who has all authority and dominion and power, came up to me, Levi, and said, I want you. Why don't you come and follow after me? Nobody's ever made a claim like that to me before. I'm a despised individual and the one who has created all things has said yeah I want you on my I want you to be one of my learners I want to pour my life into you well we also find out a little bit about um the company then that Levi invites so we might title this look who's coming to dinner and he see he he he, he Calls for tax collectors. I love the scriptures. Tax collectors and sinners. As though tax collectors are this separate group of sinners. I, I don't, they're so bad, they get their own category. Because there's regular sinners over here. You know, swindlers and prostitutes and adulterers and murderers. They're over here. But then there's those really bad tax collectors. You guys are one thing, but oh, man. Then there are tax collectors. tax collectors and sinners. These are the friends who Levi invites. And probably because that's all the friends Levi has. Some of the other accounts say that there were some followers of Christ. So I suppose Levi had some some acquaintances with some some disciples. But it sounds to me like Levi just knows a bunch of heathens. I don't know. When I became a Christian, I didn't know any Christians. I didn't even have a Christian lead me to Christ. Christ. I did it by myself in my room. I wouldn't say by myself, but I was alone in my room. There was nobody there saying, say this prayer or do this thing or whatever. Just the presence of God was there. And I said, oh my goodness, you are holy and I'm not. And so I don't know what I'm doing here. But here I am. And all my friends, I don't think any of them were tax collectors. But they were all sinners, and so was I. And that's all I knew. Jesus' response to being in this room of tax collectors and sinners was, Good. Let's eat. And we trivialize and minimize eating in our culture, but it's a big deal in the Middle East to eat with somebody. And they fellowship They were reclining at the table with one another. That is, they're kind of leaning on one another's shoulders and just hanging out. Jesus fellowshiped. I think too often we become cloistered. We... We look at monks who went off into the monasteries, and sometimes we, we, we look at some of the early desert fathers, and we wonder how is it that they go off and they do their own thing out by themselves, and they never have any interaction with other people. And I, I wonder that. I, I don't know how it That happens, and yet I look around our lives and I think perhaps we we have done the same thing. We have not built monasteries, but we make sure that everything we do and everywhere we go, that I have all of my, I'm on the Christian softball league and the Christian bowling league, and I work for a Christian company, and I go to Christian entertainment, and all of these things, and all of the things we do, we've cloistered ourselves, and Jesus is now right smack dab in the midst of tax collectors and sinners, and he's eating and enjoying fellowship with them. It's especially difficult as a pastor. The majority of the conferences and the majority of meetings that I have are with other believers. Most of the time, I'm not around tax collectors and sinners. I try to make some effort, and I would encourage you. A lot of you are in a different role. If you're working, you may not work with everybody who's a believer. Some of the people you may work with may be, well, either a tax collector or a sinner, you know. They haven't they, they haven't followed Christ when he said, follow me. I have to be very intentional. I, most of the people, most of the time when I'm uh, hiking or, or cycling, most of the time, except like this last week, I was, I was riding my bike this week with a lot of believers, but most of the time I ride with unbelievers, part of that is intentional. Now we're going. A couple of us are going for a bike ride after church. So if you see me taking off with Sam and and, uh, and Scott, don't think, oh, that must be the sinners that jump. <laughs> is that? Are they tax collectors or are they sinners? <laughs> Please don't mistake them for for that. Um <laughs> so um but, but so oftentimes we become so cloistered. And somebody might ask, well, what about all of the passages of text that say things like, well, bad company corrupts good morals and Proverbs says, you know, be careful about who you associate and fellowship with and that's a tough question. No doubt about it. Because on the one hand we see Jesus hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. He is not approving their lifestyle but he's there with them. I would say that if we socialize for the purpose of acceptance, perhaps we are nearing a place where we would compromise. And you need to know, you need to be led by the Spirit. Perhaps this particular environment might be one that is not for you, but that does not mean that you cannot ever have uh, an association with a tax collector and a sinner. After all, folks, all disciples are sinners. Some have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, but we're all, and all tax, and all disciples are former rebels. That's just the bottom line. None of us came into this thing pure. None of us came into this thing as upright individuals. We all came in and somebody met Jesus and invited you and I, tax collectors and sinners, to meet the Jesus that they were celebrating. And we say, hey, he he is something. I should listen to him. And so one of the things I think we often fail to do is we are so busy condemning so-called tax collectors and sinners that are out there that we forget. Paul tells us, Paul tells us what do I have to do with judging outsiders? We're so busy making sure that we separate from the outsiders, but we are quick to associate with rebellious brothers and sisters. Look at this passage of text. In 1 Corinthians, this is what Paul says. says. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Well, there it is. Right there. Don't associate with sexually immoral people. All those bad adulterers and fornicators out there, don't associate with them. Oh, but Wait. Not at all meeting the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world out of this world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of a brother. If he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? It is is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside, purge the evil person. We are often quick to make sure that we associate with the rebellious who calls themselves a brother or sister in the Lord while condemning those outside. And it seems as though Paul is saying, Listen God will judge them. We need to purge ourselves of the evil that is in our midst, and so too often we separate ourselves from non-believing sinners and we ex- um, and associate with sinning brethren, which just seems to be the opposite of what Paul is saying. <clears throat> and by the way, this would be the unrepentant, because we all sin, and there's time where we just we just need to repent. So, Levi's been called, he lays down everything, follows Christ, throws a party, and now there's problems. This is the the second conflict we see um, in this this gospel. And the religious leaders, as the scribes and the Pharisees, were appalled that someone so holy like Jesus, someone who claimed to be a teacher, someone who claimed to be a rabbi, would associate with such riffraff. How can you have contact with such wicked people? The Talmud, a a Jewish document, said you should have no table fellowship with sinners. And here's Jesus sitting at the table having dinner with sinners. Our rules say you can't do that. How is it that somebody holy like you can And this was the problem. Remember, Jesus is is sitting in the house of, of a Pharisee and a prostitute comes and uh, through her tears, dampens his feet and washes, his, dries his feet with her hair. And, and the Pharisee's going, you know, if this guy were really holy, he would know what kind of person this is that's touching him. Jesus turns around and condemns the man and forgives the woman. was guilt by association. In other words, it was salvation through segregation. As long as I say stay separate from the riffraff, I'm probably okay. As long as I make sure I have no contact with those nasty vile people out there, I'm probably going to be okay. I'll keep my rules. I'll keep my laws. I'll do this and I won't do that. And I'll do this to a certain degree, but not that. And I'll make sure that I have no associations with those wicked, evil, vile, nasty Degraded, degraded people. I have nothing to do with them. And they begin to grumble. And I learned something this, this week. I thought was interesting that this is the same as they, they grumbled. This was the same um, term used in the Old Testament. Sorry, it was Israel's complaining against God in the desert. When God would do great things, the people of Israel would grumble against God. And this is the exact same thing. They're grumbling against God. And then Jesus says this proverb. It's so amazing. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I mean, how perfectly concise and logical is that? In fact, it is so perfectly stated, I'm not even going to say anything about it. What do you add to that? Right? Other than Jesus is compassionate. Well, of course, I'm not going to just leave it alone, am I? (laughs) But we see compassion because a physician is compassionate. He sees somebody's hurting. And he's going to be compassionate towards that. He's going to go to where the person is hurting. Jesus, we see, had compassion on, on people because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he saw that they were lost. And he had compassion and just like a doctor. Said, I don't need to fix well people. I need to fix the broken people. And so Jesus is merciful and compassionate like a doctor's compassion to those who are sick. And then Jesus gets to the very heart of his ministry, perhaps the very heart of this gospel, and that is, I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. You will note that I have entitled this whole series to um to seek and to save the lost, which we'll find later on in the book of Luke. But this is a parallel statement that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, that Jesus did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is the very heart of what Jesus says to do, and it is the very heart of being a disciple. I would like to point out Levi's actions. You might say, well, what does repentance mean?" Well, we can simply say it's to turn around and walk the other direction. I think that's a great definition. Let's learn from our text what repentance is, because Levi provides us a great example of what repentance is. First of all, it is to turn from sin to Christ. This was a decisive action. He laid down his old life. He set everything of his old life aside. And he began to follow Christ. Christ. That is the process of following Christ. Levi does no longer continues to live for himself, but begins to live for the person of Jesus Christ, who is much more glorious, much more beautiful than everything his old life had to offer him. This is a great example of repentance, that he left his tax booth and began to follow Christ. What a great picture of repentance. And by the way, then, let me just mention, because then, Levi throws a party and joy is the byproduct of repentance sometimes we think oh repentance is is being mournful and it is but not to the end of remaining mournful and miserable it is to achieve the end of joyful celebration Levi leaves behind his tax booth and takes up and follows Christ and he goes away and throws a party and begins to rejoice This is what it means to be repentant, that we leave behind the old, we begin to follow Christ, and I will tell you this, there is joy in being a repentant individual. You might say, well, wait a second. Jesus said I didn't come to call the righteous. Now, I thought the Bible said there were none righteous. Well, you're right. There are none righteous. Jesus is being a little bit sarcastic here, maybe a little bit ironic. Certainly sarcastic. There are none righteous, but the Pharisees and the religious leaders certainly pictured themselves as righteous and therefore had no need. And I would say this is the greatest hindrance we have to people coming to the gospel because people say, I have no need. I'm already good. Me and God got things worked out and I'm okay. I am not a bad person. I'm a good person, in fact. So I have no real need for Jesus because I'm already a good person. And the person who says he is without sin is a liar and calls God a liar. There is no righteous, no, not even one, not even you, not even me. We are not righteous. And you can say, well, I'm better than so-and-so, and that may be. But you are not better than the righteousness of Christ, and that is the standard by which we will be held accountable. So, see, The so-called righteous see that they have no need. You'll remember with the Pharisee and the publican, and, and we'll get to that, the Pharisee went to the temple to pray and said, Oh, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like one of these terrible people like this tax collector. And the tax collector said, Have mercy on me, a sinner. And he went away justified. See, the other guy didn't know he had a need. He saw himself as righteous. So, people cannot repent because they see no need and they see themselves as already okay or already just before God. But Jesus came to call the sick. Jesus came to call the sinners. Jesus came to call the outcasts. He came to call the untouchables like a leper, like a paralytic, like demon possessed people, and like a scum of the earth guy like Levi. Jesus said, Yep, yeah, you're the people I want. See, these other folks, they see they have no need for me, but you. see that your need for me and you are the ones for whom the kingdom of God is open and so Jesus came to call the sick he came to call sinners and all who recognize That without Jesus, they are lost. And if you are a Christian, there became a day or a time or at some point you realize that without Christ, you are lost and on your way to face eternity outside of God's love and outside of of Christ. And that is a horrible, horrible place to be. There was a day when I was 18 years old and I sat in my room and I said, I thought I was okay. I thought I was good. I thought I had it together. I thought everything was okay okay and now I see the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ and not only am I not okay I am a miserable woe is me I am undone will you have mercy on me Lord a sinner and on that day Jesus said I will no no way cast you out he called me his own and I don't know why all I know is that grace that's all I know undeserved favor from the almighty God, the son of man who has all authority, all power, all dominion forever and ever and ever said, you are now mine. (laughs) Really? So I'll conclude with this. Folks, Jesus came to call sinners. And relating this back to what it means to be a disciple is this. All current disciples were former rebels. We all rebelled against the one true King of Kings. And we should note this, that Jesus does not wait for sinners to come to Him. He went to them. We cannot sit here and wait for people to walk in those doors and say, here I am, a sinner, and I need to repent. That may happen, and that can happen. But I will tell you this. It is, if we are going to emulate Remember what does the disciple do? They begin to copy what their master does. Jesus went out looking for them. We need to go out into the world and seek out the lost. God is the great missionary. He always has been. He always will be. But he calls us to do the same. And he accepts them where they are, and then he transforms them into what he desires. He has compassion on them. And so so oftentimes we look at folks and we say, oh, what wicked, horrible people. They hate the gospel that I love so much, and they call me names, and they despise the things that we stand for. Well, of course they do. What else are they going to do? I pray that we would have compassion. Because you and I, I remember laughing to scorn people who told me the gospel. And I called them all the names that that you'd call somebody. And I mocked them and laughed at them. Christ still had compassion. Somebody had compassion. Somebody prayed. See, We have compassion because they are wandering around lost like sheep without a shepherd. And the frightening thing is they don't know they don't have a shepherd. They think that they're okay. They think they're protected, but they are not. We need to be compassionate and not say those evil, vile, wicked people. But Lord, how do I have compassion on them? How do I see them as you see them? Folks, we cannot cloister ourselves. It's great to gather together and join together in corporate public worship. We need to do that. And then when we walk out those doors, share the gospel. Be amongst people who don't know the gospel. And ultimately this, folks, a disciple makes Jesus their priority. Is Jesus the priority in your life? Are you a disciple of Christ? Is he, is he your priority? And realize this, folks, it's a process. It doesn't happen overnight. And we're all kind of on that process, moving along. And we're all at different places. But are we in the process? So, Jesus called us to be disciples. We need to be disciples who make disciples. And that's our goal. That's our mission. That's who we are. We have a perfect example. We've got great books out there, but we've got a greater example in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Let's stand and let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the day that you've given us and for your word. We thank you for Levi and all that we learn from him. We thank you for Jesus Christ who teaches us. I pray, Lord God, that we would learn the words of Christ, that we would follow them, obey them, teach them to others, and reproduce ourselves and make more disciples. So grant us favor and wisdom now, for Christ's sake. Amen.